If Easter were the wedding celebration, this seventh Sunday of Easter could be likened to the seven-year itch. We here at the church, of course, continue to celebrate these Easter days until next Sunday's Pentecost. But we have to admit our flowers have thinned out considerably, our Easter candy is long since gone, and even our readings are much leaner. No longer filled with the radical reality of the resurrection, now much more about the day-to-day living of the Christian life. We're continuing through St. John's farewell discourse, relating Jesus' words at the Last Supper, as we have been for the last three weeks. Speaking of the life of the Christian, four quotes that stand out to me today. First, he starts, Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one just as we are one. Let them be one. Ut unum sint. Jesus, he's Speaking to the Father and the Apostles listening in, he prays for unity among his followers. And it is such a beautiful thing when we see it. In fact, the psalmist speaks about how it's like, don't you love this image, like oil flowing down over Aaron's beard. Okay, maybe, maybe that's a weird image. I, I used to think so, too, until this past winter, and something struck me. I think it was the North Country air. You know how we just get all dried out and just, especially our face if we've been outside a lot and it just, it just hurts. Our facial skin is so sensitive but also so exposed. And yet when it is healed, whether with a, a beard balm or whether with a lotion, it feels that which had been seeming to be falling apart just seems like everything is better with the world. And so it is with unity, like oil flowing down the beard. It is like that sense that all is possible now. And we see that unity right in our first reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Judas was dead. And after the ascension of our Lord that we celebrated on Thursday, the rest of the twelve apostles, led by Peter, They choose Matthias to take the place of Judas. Nice piece of history of the church, yes, but also a sign of the unity through the ages, because that was just the first of thousands and thousands since. We call those successors of the apostles our bishops. Here in the North Country, Bishop Lavallee, Our dear friend in Syracuse, Bishop Lucia. Oh yeah, over in Rome, Francis. Now it is beautiful, this unity, but it's also tough. Because, well, think back 2,000 years, odds are pretty good that somebody didn't like Matthias. When? When did you have 12 people together and say, yeah, we all really like each other perfectly, no issues at all. When did you have two people together and say, yeah, we have, we have no division here? We don't always like 
the other, but Christians are called to love them. And we see that unity today prayed for by our Lord. Second, Jesus says, I speak this in the world so that they may share my joy completely. Joy. We've been looking forward now to Andy Bigelow's uh, baptism for weeks, some of us for months. It'll be just a week from last night. He'll be baptized at the Pentecost vigil. And in talking to him, it was remarkable what, what drew him to the faith. It was not just beautiful liturgies, nor just the, the rich tradition of the church, not even just the, the best moral structure the world has to offer, but it was this, the joy, the joy of the Christian life of his fiance, of other family members, of those who were in our RCAA class, and you, the joy of the gospel. Jesus prays for it. Number three, he says, I gave them your word and the world hated them. This one doesn't sound like one of those nice passages, and it's not. Although, I gave them your word could be a great thing to reflect on for some hours, because the word that God gave, of course, is Jesus. Jesus, the word who becomes flesh. And when Jesus says, I gave them your word, he's talking about that self-gift, that self-donation. Yes, on the cross, yes, in, in the Eucharist. He gives himself to us. But then there's the second half. And the world hated them. The world hated his followers who received himself. It's not just in the church where this is the case, is it? Anyone who stands for something... Bishop Barron pointed out this week that Churchill, Winston Churchill, was probably one of the two or three greatest figures of the 20th century. Most historians would agree on that, but look at how he was thought of in his own day, maligned by so many, even in his own nation. Lincoln. Lincoln here in America the greatest figure of the 19th century, according to many. But how was he regarded in his day? Maligned by so many. And Churchill spoke to this reality. He says, a man has enemies? Good. It means he stood for something. That's just in the political realm or in the social realm. How much more so could we not be surprised that we will be disliked, maybe even hated, when we stand for the truth of the gospel. And then finally, Jesus gives us that word, that your word is truth. Truth. That was mocked even 2,000 years ago in the face of the Lord himself when he stood before Pilate. Jesus spoke of the truth, and Pilate says, what, what is truth? And we see it lived out today, 2,000 years later. How many of our students, college and younger, are questioned, are taught to question, is there any truth? Is there anything that we can actually believe in today? 
three examples of how it's lived out struck me just in this past week, in the last two weeks, just last, uh, last Sunday. I was distributing Holy Communion and accidentally someone dropped a host as she was receiving. And prompted by the good example of uh, a good seminarian, Lucas, well-formed at the Josephinum, we've taken up the habit of placing a purificator down on that spot, just in case any uh, particle of the host had fallen to the ground after the host was, was picked up. The next person comes up in line and starts having a conversation with me. At least that's how some of you saw it. What was going on there? She was asking, Father, would you like me to go and get you another purificator? She knew where they were. She knew what it was. She knew what we were about. She knew about our call to worship. Just a couple days before that, we had our May crowning. And you've seen the bulletin, those beautiful pictures of the images of Mary crowned. One of you just took the initiative to grab her camera and make sure that it was recorded. Thank God for it so that it could be shared. I had forgotten to ask someone to do so, but she took the initiative to educate, to share the good news of what was going on in the parish. And somebody else this past week told me about our raffle. You remember we are doing the raffle to fundraise for the handicap ramp. Well, he had all the contact information for the basketball program that we had offered all the hoopsters from Canton. And he said, Father, I took the initiative to, to forward the information about the raffle to them. He got a couple of sales out of it. Fundraising for the, the parish. We don't all have the, the email addresses to the hoopsters, and we don't all carry smoke, smartphones that take great pictures, and we sure don't all know well, even what purificators are, no less where to find them in the sacristy, but we all have something. The Lord gives each of us this gift of the Spirit that, we, that is promised to us and that we will celebrate on Sunday this next week. Each of us has this gift that he invites us to share. Yes, it's true that any couple married more than 24 hours knows that not every day can be filled with the celebrations of a wedding day. There is the long haul that follows. There is the day-to-day living and the challenges therein. But Christ is the divine bridegroom, the one who gives himself to us most perfectly. And so he asks us, how can I be a source of unity? How can, how can we be a witness of joy? How can we be a messenger of truth, even when the world will hate us? <laughs>